Good. Good morning. Welcome to Sunday morning, the auditorium class. Um, I know Chuck last week was a little different in here. It's a little different for me. It's been a while. It's been a while. As a matter of fact, I forgot to pick up my bag of candy today. So if you've never been in my class, I throw candy. That's just my thing. So it works with kids. I used to teach the kids' classes. So I, I just pay them for getting stuff right. So I broke it in when I had to start teaching adult classes. Um, it still worked. So, so that's kind of my gig. But anyways, I didn't bring any candy this morning. So we'll have to break that out in a couple weeks. Um, questions? My, my typical way I got things set up, I'll have the scripture in white. I'll have questions in yellow. Chris is going to back there. He's going to try to turn the microphones on. The tech end of it is these microphones are off until they're turned on. Otherwise, the live stream picks up. Uh, they'll pick up me when I'm talking, but if, if you just leave these on, you pick up everything, the motorcycles, the mosquito control, anything else. So we just kind of turn them on when there's time to answer questions. So um, that'll help. Um, anyways, we'll get right into it. So our series is Kingdom and Exile, the Kingdom of Christ. And that's where we're at. We're in Babylon. We're in the Kingdom of Exile. And we're going to work our way to the Kingdom of Christ. And that's something we highlight is that hope and uh, God's keeping his word, God being faithful. It does tie along with what Matt's been teaching when he teaches the uh, God's faithful through the Old Testament. Uh, it all points to Christ. So anyways, we're going to pick up in Daniel 7. In case you aren't going to be here when, uh, for the whole time or whatever, here's my outline. Uh, verses 1 through 8, Daniel's vision of the four beasts. Verse 9 through 12, the Ancient of Days reigns. 13 and 14, the Son of Man is given dominion. And 15 through 28, Daniel's vision is interpreted. So that's the plan for today. So verses 1 through 8, Daniel's vision of the four beasts. Starting out in Daniel 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. So last week, Chuck covered uh, a dream in Daniel 2. Who had that dream? Anybody remember? Chuck remembers. What's that? The king had it. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had the dream. Oh, Matt got it back there. Special bonus points for the youth minister, assistant minister. Remember what was in the dream? <laughs> Big statue, right? Statue in four parts. I think I got a picture. Who interpreted? Who interpreted the dream? Nebuchadnezzar's dream. God did. God did. God interpreted. Through Daniel, but God interpreted the dream. God put the dream in Nebuchadnezzar's head. God interpreted the dream. Here's a, a rendition of the, the, the uh, statue. Sorry. Rendition of the statue. Chuck had a similar picture. His uh, last column's a little different than mine. Oh, I just borrowed it off of KenRaggio.com. But it represents, the gold represents the Babylonian Empire. The um, silver represents Medo-Persian Empire. The brass represents the Greeks. And then the iron represents the Romans. And they, the mixed with clay was, you said, the extended Roman Empire. I like that word better than the Holy Roman Empire. It's a little combination there. So I didn't change his. I just left it. Daniel 7, verses 2 through 3. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. What does number four typically represent in the Bible? Enough. So there's four great winds, four great beasts. 
four usually represents the Earth, and that's usually that. We got the we got the four directions: north, south, north, south, east, and west. They usually talk about the four great winds. I think they call four elements: two, Earth, wind, fire, water. Yeah. So you know, four usually represents the Earth in Jewish literature. What do you think the great sea is? The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. I'm not a big dream interpreter. I don't dream. I really don't. You know, we've been married almost 21 years. I think twice. She said, what are we doing? Dreaming? So, yes. So, anyways, I don't. Chuck, what's the great sea represent? Med. You'd think it'd be the med, wouldn't it? You'd think it'd be the Mediterranean Sea. It would be the great sea. That's where they live. That's what they work with. And probably the imaging, you know, happening around the Mediterranean. You know, they, they do come out of that. Um, the Great Sea probably represents just the, the population, the people. The Great Sea of people is probably what it really represents. But with most, um, most prophecies, they're short and long. There's multiple interpretations. I would say, you know, like you say, with Daniel, he, uh, he probably he may have seen the Mediterranean or at least knew of it. You know, I don't know if he was on that part of the, the nation or not, but it would be something he could relate to. It wasn't just a big lake, it was the sea. So, it, anyways, it's probably the population. So out of the population, out of the great number of people, what do you think the four beasts rising out of the great sea of humanity would be? If you look at it, if you touch that, if you look at it as the Mediterranean Sea, up around the sea, where the kingdoms grows, same kind of thing. Out of, a human, out of the humanity, great kingdoms rose. People are people, and that's kind of how it was. They rose up great kingdoms. People just being people. If you haven't already figured it out, the worst fear in the world should be the fear of people. Uh, you will get more damage done to you by people than sharks, you know, wild bears, that kind of stuff. Back to the, anyway, you saw it. Daniel 7, verse 4. First was like a lion. The first of these four beasts was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And as I looked, its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the kind of man and the mind of man was given to it. If I had dreams like this, I'd probably wonder what I ate for dinner, to be honest. You know, this is kind of weird stuff, right? Lions with eagles and wings, wings being plucked off. Kind of strange. The first beast represents the kingdom. What was the first kingdom? We learned this last week. We learned it again next week. So. <laughs> Part of this is redundant. We'll try to break out of that. Chuck? Yeah, it's easy. It's the Babylonian it's kingdom. It's the Babylonian kingdom. That's the first kingdom that they're talking about here. Nebuchadnezzar was king. It moves on. But anyways, the Babylonian kingdom is the first kingdom. And it's represented by a lion. Uh, it related itself to a lion. If you can, you can find online some of the Babylonian artifacts, and they are lions. That change came upon the beast evidently as references to the event of Nebuchadnezzar's madness and his subsequent restoration. That's when it talks about um, when the wings are plucked off, it's lifted up from the ground, made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. There's another chapter where Nebuchadnezzar kind of goes crazy, but he sees God in that, doesn't he? With him is he walks out and he looks out and he says, look at all the great things I've done, and God says, okay. Now I'm going to show you. And he basically turned him into someone who was mad. Uh, it, it reckons his hands are like claws, like an eagle's claws. And uh, his hair grows on his back. Um, and he goes out just kind of, kind of nutty. 
And when he finally acknowledges God, God says, okay, and he restored him back. He restored his mind back, and he restored him back as the king. But he kind of said, you didn't do all this. Yeah, you didn't do I this. I did. This is, this is the work of God, not the work of Nebuchadnezzar. You never lose sight of that. Yeah. So it refers to that. And like I said, we're not really studying Daniel so much as we're just in Daniel. That came from Edward Young's, that quote came from Edward Young's The Prophecy of Daniel. Um, I got it through Kaufman's commentary. That's where he got it from. In verse 5, And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. So, what was the second kingdom? After the Babylonians, who followed them? Medo-Persians. Medo-Persians. That's the Medo-Persian Empire would be the second kingdom. I don't know about the symbology of the bear, and, and I looked at several things, and there's some bad guesses of what the three ribs in his mouth is. That's what Chris looks like at lunch, usually. He gets three, he gets three baby back ribs at one time. Just kidding, Chris. So That's what I thought of with the big bear eating the ribs. I don't know why. Sorry, Chris. Are you going to do that from now on? I am the Medo-Persian kingdom. There you go. So, uh, the Medo-Persian kingdom is represented by a ram with two horns next week. And... Uh, and um, Daniel 8, and the two horns being the Medes and the Persians. That's, and it's real easy to see that. Um, Daniel 6, after this I looked and behold another like a leopard and four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. So besides the fact this is really a creepy thing, what's the third kingdom? So you got the Babylonians, the Medes, Persians, and the Greeks. So the Greeks are the third kingdom. And it doesn't really matter so much to know that, except Chuck pointed out last week, it's, it's bookended between Babylon and the kingdom of Christ. You know that this is it. We're not looking for other big kingdoms. This is what's coming. The kingdom of Greece represented in Daniel 8 by a male goat with one horn, which is Alexander the Great. That breaks off in its prime and replaced by four. Um, like I said, Chuck will cover that next week. It's, that one just, you take this all together and it's like, huh. Even a dummy can see this kind of stuff, you know. So, anyways, the leopard with the four wings on his back, who knows? To be honest, if it wasn't for the order, go ahead. Uh, I had, I had liked, I'd seen one interpretation that said the, the wings was the swiftness. Because Alexander conquered the world by the time he was, I think, 31. Yeah. And he did it very, very swiftly. He went so far, he went from Greece clear to India. Nobody's, nobody's conquered that much ground. And he did it, like I say, very young. Yeah. <laughs> walk. That kind of stuff always amazes me. I tell people my, my grandfather went to France. He walked across France, but he went to France. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways. I don't know how they do that. Verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, had great iron teeth that devoured and broke into pieces, it broke in pieces and stomped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So the four kingdoms, we have Babylon, Mede, Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. This is the Romans. Still represented by iron, uh, with iron teeth. Verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came among them another horn, a little horn, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in his horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and the mouth speaking great things. Like I said, you could probably spend a whole forever looking at some of the symbology and stuff, and I really didn't try to get into that more so than pointing towards the kingdom. 
But what do you think the little horn of the Roman Empire, what do you think it sounds like? What do you think it sounds like? Any clue? What did, not necessarily what you hear, but what do you think it represents? I get the, it's a homophone, homophone thing. Well, it's, it's a king. It's a king. It's a king. It's somebody. It's a leader. It's a leader. Got any clue who that might be? There's lots of interpretations on there's, this one. There's lots of interpretations, but to be honest, most of the uh, Bible commentaries they point at the same thing. They point at the Pope. There's really who they point at. Um, they point at the Pope, and um, and you'll see more on that in a minute. But that's where. With mouth that speaks great things, um, usually they look at it as a pope in the uh, Catholic Church. Little horn is a little kingdom. It's a horn of the fourth beast and rooted up three of the first horns. Therefore, we're look to look at it, look for it among the nations of the Latin Empire. But it was kingdom of a different kind from other ten kingdoms, having a life and soul peculiar to itself, with eyes and a mouth. But its eyes, with by its eyes was a seer. By its mouth speaking great things and changing times and laws, it was a prophet as well as a king. And such a seer, prophet, and king is the Church of Rome. And that's actually taken from Sir Isaac Newton's commentary called Daniel and Revelation. So I don't think Isaac Newton's not normally known for his Bible stuff, but anyways, this is something he did. The only thing that gives me pause on that is uh, that the papal kingdom didn't rise until about 700 or 800 A.D. It rises. Which is well after Christ established his kingdom. Right. And then we're going to look at some of that too, I think. We're going to try to, try to fill in some of the blanks on that. That the, Although the Roman kingdom was over, pieces of it still exist. They still exist today, and they still exist clear till Judgment Day. And I think that's really where it ties that in. So... Yeah, I don't know. Some of this stuff's hard to see. Some of it's like pretty plain too. When you're looking at it, it's like, I don't see anything else. But I haven't sat down for years and somebody's got a PhD and the little horn. You know what they do. They just... So, verses 9 through 12, we'll get more into something else. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. Who was the Ancient of Days? You ever heard that term anywhere else? What's that? The Father, God. The Father, yeah, God the Father. It has to be the Ancient of Days. He's around the longest, right? He was around before time. He's most ancient. He's the one, the Father of Days itself. So God the Father is who the Ancient of Days is. Um, yeah, that's me. Anyways, he sits on a throne, and we know that. He's got. Um, it's a white throne. It describes him as white. Um, this is him. In verse 10, the stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. A court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So what's this scene described? You've got the God Almighty on his throne. You've got fire. You've got steam. You got lines of people before him. You have books that are open. What's his, what do you think this scene is? Judgment Day. It's got to be Judgment Day, right? This is what we know from the New Testament. We'll all stand before him. We'll all answer it. So the books are open. What are those books? The Book of Life. Yeah. 
what, what was recorded there. Oh, there you are. Come on in. There you are. Welcome to the fire and steam. You know, it's one way or the other, unfortunately. But this is, this is a scene. We see this uh, in other places. Uh, Revelation 20, I think, gets more into this too. Revelation and Daniel are very tied. Verse 11 and 12, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Do you find it strange that the first beasts are still alive to watch the destruction of the fourth, fourth beast? They don't really disappear, disappear. The kingdom's are gone. Babylonian kingdom's gone. The Medo-Persians are the next one. Medo-Persians are gone, and it's the Greeks. The Greeks are gone, and it's the Romans. But with this judgment, they seem to all be there. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominions taken away, but their lives were prolonged. You find it a little strange? It, it seems weird. I don't just, you know, it's just weird that they're still there. What was from the kingdom Still, so, I mean, look at our, for instance, our language. How much of it is Latin root? Oh, yeah. Which is Greek root. Yeah, Latin root, Greek root. It still exists. It's, it does. The, the words still exist. We have words we use today which mean nothing. Who dials a telephone today? Nobody, you know? But you'll still hear that, especially people my age and older, you know? You'll still dial the phone because who does? We joke that people tune in to our live stream. Ain't nobody got the rabbit ears going like this, twisting the little UHF dial just to get it, just, or you know, the AM radio trying to tune that in. Just right. Nobody does that, but we still use the words like that. But yeah, you still got things that trickle in. Even ideas are still there, and they still manifest. They're still part of that all the way through. So why do you think the other beasts were there? What do you think it means that they're still there? I find it, it's, it's weird that they're there, but why do you think they're part of that? All the people. They help him understand. Yeah, the Romans were built on the Greeks, were built on the Mega Persians, were built on Babylonians. It all builds on one another. So, you know, you take the most evil thing you can find today, the evil. The people trying to be leading their own evil kingdom and stuff, where did they get their ideas? Well, what influences they have? It's influences the past. Not too many new ideas out there. So they're there for that judgment. Um, Revelation 20, the kings of the earth, the apostate church, and Satan perish in the lake of fire simultaneously. They're all saved right there at the judgment time. They're all they're taken care of at the same time. Why do you think judgment isn't done until the end of time? This is something that used to bother me as a, as a younger Christian. I'm probably better off understanding it now. Um, why do you think judgment isn't done when you die? You're pretty much sealed, right? When you die, you can't change which direction you're going. You're going to heaven, you're going to hell. You can't change that, right? So why is judgment done at that point? Your influence keeps going, right? You know, you, I kind of looked at it as until things become so evil, God says, so I'm going to end it all. There's constantly people at it. 
-hmm. And at the end of time is when Christ hands it back to the Father. We can't hand it back to him piecemeal. No. He's got to hand the whole thing. He hands the whole thing over. This is. So that's kind of why it waits to the end is that's that's part of handing the kingdom over is if the kingdom is locked. It's the whole collection. We'll take what's in the kingdom, hand over to the Father, what's not in the kingdom, in the lake, all at one time. The influence continues, but that's it's a whole collection that we get rid of that happens that way at the same time. Um, you think about stuff, I mean, Hitler's one of those things. World War II was 80 years ago? 80 years ago. But some of the, some of the things that were fought for, fought against at that time, some of those ideas still, still influence people today. You would think that were just 80 years. You'd think it would just disappear, but it's still there, and there's still bits and pieces. Ephesians 6.12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that's what we're doing. We, it's not that we fight against people. It's these kingdoms. It's these rulers, these authorities. The control of, I guess, it's the influence of Satan. It would be the really truth of it. But it's our spiritual forces. It's against that. And... Um, and that's something we continue to fight, and it still continues to be there. Same old battle. Verses 13 and 14. Son of man is given dominion. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. These two verses appear to be out of chronological order. Uh, like we said, we just looked at the end of time. What could possibly happen after the end of time? nothing. So this is kind of uh, anyways you get to it. It's not after judgment. I want to put it that way. So who is the son of man? It's Jesus, right? He's got to be in Christ. He uses that name a lot in the New Testament. So the son of man comes to uh, with the clouds of heaven. When does he come? When does the son of man arrive at heaven? He's already there, right? Right. So that have been, um, I got that verse on there? Yeah, Acts 1, 9 through 11. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So that was so really, when Jesus gets to heaven, is the ascension. It's Acts 1. It's 40, 40 days after, is that right? 40 days? Yeah, 40 days after he rises from the dead. Yeah, something like that. I think it's 40 days. For some reason, I'm not thinking it's 40 days. But some of the day of Pentecost is 50 days, but I think he's 40 days alive on the earth as a risen Savior. So if I'm wrong on the 40 days exact count, it's still at the end of that time. He goes back to heaven. And this describes it with the clouds, with everything. Daniel 7, 14. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So this is the fifth kingdom. Chuck had the five kingdoms last week. He had this big statue, and it's destroyed by a big stone, right? The fifth kingdom represents, the stone represents the fifth kingdom. So what's the fifth kingdom? It's the kingdom of Christ. It's the kingdom of Christ is the church. That's the fifth kingdom. That's it. What Chuck showed last week, it destroys all the other ones. It has dominion over all the people, all the nations. What's different about this kingdom from the other four? What's different about this kingdom from the Babylonian kingdom, the, the Greeks, the Medo-Persians, the Romans? It lasts forever. It lasts forever. The other ones, we see that they're still lasting in small fragments at least, clear to the day of judgment, but they don't last past that. The kingdom of Christ lasts past judgment day. It lasts forever, forever. So that's something that, that we can hold on to. Problem with the placement of verse 13 and 14 after great judgment is that it makes it seem like Christ's kingdom is only established after the destruction of the world kingdoms. I don't want you to think that his kingdom only comes after the destruction of the worldly kingdoms. There are some that teach that, and I know that's, is that the amillennialists? not the amillennial, premillennialists? I think they basically take or teach that. But anyways, that's not the case. He doesn't come, he doesn't become king once the earth's kings are gone. He is king now. After the four kings, right. He doesn't become king after this, that, and everything. Yeah. Just after the four kings. That was the placement of that. That's the problem bookending it, is because it, you get into trouble. You do. Yeah. Yeah, so you look at other stuff. Yeah. But the bookends are Babylon and the kingdom of Christ. And we're in the kingdom of Christ now. Even in your, basically, you're in or you're out. You can, be, you can become in, but it's still, that's where it's at. And, it, and it'll go on, except forever. This merely represents Christ's kingdom continuing until the end of time of judgment and destruction, and it goes on beyond that. Um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in the Great Commission, the risen Jesus states his authority. He tells them, I'm, I got all authority in heaven, all authority in earth. Um, have the worldly kingdoms been judged and destroyed at that point? They haven't been. So that's kind of shows you that it doesn't happen afterwards. It's, it's even his own words at that point. Uh, back to Daniel 14, 7, 14. Uh, how do you think? Yeah, how do you think? <laughs> how do you think Daniel would have felt? Sorry, sometimes I get ahead of myself or who knows what. How do you think Daniel would have felt about a prophecy like this? He locked onto the beast, the big, the fourth beast. He locked onto Bugdom. He's, yeah, he is. He gets into that. He's looking at that. He's really concerned about the fourth beast. He's concerned about the Roman, Roman Empire. He asks questions about that. But he's given, you know, Daniel's in captivity. He's in that first kingdom. He's gone from the kingdom of Israel. Now he's in the kingdom of Babylon. But God gives him hope, right? 
in some. But this is Christ. Right. But he locked in on the He locked in the Romans, yeah. Which he'll never live to see either one of them. He, he won't be around to see either one. He gets into the Medo-Persians, but he's, he don't get past that. He just, but yeah, he locks in. And I'm sure it's, although it's interpreted for him, it's weird. I guess there's some, uh, some commentators, some theologians that basically say that prophets know what they're prophesying, and they understand it. And I think this is one of those ones where you can see they don't always know. It's God's prophecy. They speak it. They get the vision. There's no way he could fully understand it. It's just, it's recorded. It's here for us to look at this many years later, this many centuries later. Um, but anyways, if you were in captivity in Babylon, and like Daniel, he was taken in the, the first wave, right? He's one of the most valuable of the Israelites. He's taken then, he's, he's, anyways, if you saw the hope, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. It's not a hope that he's going to reach. It's not a hope that that kingdom's not going to happen in his lifetime. Do you think he sees, think he would see the faithfulness of God? God's, you know, he's given clues and prophecies about this forever and ever. And he continues, even though they're in a very dark time, continues to say, I'm keeping my promise. I will be, I will establish the greatest kingdom of all. It will be forever. Do you think that's, you know, I don't know, I guess maybe it was grandparents. I'm not a grandparent yet. Um, do you look at things different for your kids, your grandkids, than you would even a promise for yourself, that you're building something for the future? Do you continue to do that kind of thing? It's not for me anymore, right? Well, you probably worry more about your grandkids and what the future holds for them because it's unknown. It's unknown. Or what looks like it's going to be doesn't look too good. <laughs> yeah, we always see the worst thing. It's, that's the thing. I guess it's even like this. He sees the Roman Empire. He doesn't see the best of it necessarily. But it's there. So. Um, now back to, to the Great Commission. In the past year of pandemic, and all the economic, social, and political, and I know we could spend like three hours on that too, um, surrounds it. How do you feel about Christ's eternal kingdom? Because it's here. In the past year, you know, I don't know, different people have had different things in their life. Um, how is, has that given you hope? Has it been just pushed aside? Because we only see the fact that we're supposed to wear masks and stay six feet away from people and not touch stuff and hope for, you know, fight the invisible war? Or is that part of it? John? To me, it's the stable part. It's the anchor. It, it's, it, is, it is what it is. Things like this don't affect it. Whereas, and you can see the temporal things, something's always gonna be stirring the pot. Yes. Okay, this, this, it was a pandemic, okay. We have other things that, that may seem less pressing, but they're going to still be pressing about the about what's going on in this world. That's where we live. But the kingdom's eternal. The kingdom's constant. The kingdom's stable. When we get there, I'm not going to have these worries. I'm not going to worry about that. 
Nope. Well, in case of Rona, not going to work. Yeah, the kingdom's the stability in all of it. It's, it's always there. It's unchanging. It, it's not affected by the economics, the social, the political. It's above and beyond all that kind of thing. Exactly. Where's your faith? It has to be in the kingdom of Christ, right? Yeah, it has to be. And it... <laughs> otherwise, you would go crazy. That, yeah. yeah. And I've thought about that a lot in the past year. Was really... People like Daniel. I mean, you take the ten, 12 tribes. Ten of them disappear in Assyrian captivity. And they just mingle in with the people and they just kind of just disappear and then Babylon and they just disappear but how do you hold on to faith God said in 70 years we're going back how do you pass it on to your kids how do you pass on your grandkids God's really God and he's really going to keep his promises Shad you can mask up glove up sanitize up do whatever you want and a month from now, you could have coronavirus, and you go, how did I get it? Exactly. You, you can do anything and everything. You're not in control. And you can try to stay away from the Rona all you want, but you could still end up with cancer. You know, that kind of thing. It just, that's how the world works. But that's one of the things I've thought over the past year was what it took for, you know, the Jews when they're in captivity, the Hebrews when they're in captivity in Egypt to pass for 400 and some years, to pass it on for generation to generation to generation, God's real. These are his things, and this is what it will take. He'll keep his promises and through the captivity, and we have the same thing. God keeps his promises. He's real. Daniel 17, 15 through 28. I got eh, a few minutes. So. I don't have as many questions on this part. It's kind of, you know, quite honestly, it's God talking. So... Not a whole lot I'm going to add to what he has to say. 15 and 16. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. How did Daniel say he felt about the vision? I asked that question kind of earlier. How did he say he felt about it? Upset. Upset. Anxious stuff in his head alarmed him. It's never a good place to be. Uh, you can almost put yourself in that, that feeling, just that nauseous feeling of, I can't believe what I'm facing. I can't believe what's in my head. Who do you think Daniel approached? It says he approached one of those who stood there, asked him about the truth. Who did he approach? Gabriel. You're right. I think some Bibles say Gabriel. Um, is he? Next chapter is Gabriel's called out. I know that's the first time he's, he's called out by name. That's the first angel by name in the Bible was in Daniel 8. Is that a footnote that says Gabriel? Or is it actually in the text? It's Daniel. Daniel. I don't know where I am. Okay. Daniel. I'm in chapter Daniel. Chapter 8 is specific. I know in Daniel 8 he is very specific. He talks to Gabriel. And it's the first time an angel gets a name. Uh, in Daniel 7... It might find a footnote or something, but it just says one of those. If you're going to look for the truth, it's going to be an angel. It's going to be a messenger of God. You're not going to go to the truth, just some guy standing there. You're not going to talk to one of these beasts. You're not going to talk to. It's got to be one of God's messengers. 
Continue on, Daniel 7, 17 through 18. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But the saints, the most high, shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. That's interpretation. And that's what we just talked about. The four great beasts are four kings, four kingdoms. It's not necessarily four kings, it's four kingdoms who raise out of the earth. The saints of the most high. Did I get that question? Who do you think they are? Who do you think the saints of the most high are? It's the church. It's the church. There's many names for the church. The saints are one name. The saints of the most high. The way. I always like that name. The way. Uh, the body of Christ. This is, this is who the church is. Um, by knowing the kingdoms, and knowing the fifth kingdom is the kingdom of Christ. If you get the kingdoms wrong, you'll put the fifth kingdom that the Jews are still the kingdom. And some people, if you, follow, if you look at some people's interpretations, they put the saints of the Most High as the Jews. But the saints of the Most High are the Christians, the church. And it doesn't fit with the Son of Man. It doesn't fit with any of this stuff. And that's what we're trying to, that's what we're working with, is out of this captivity, they go to the kingdom of Christ. So don't lose sight of that. This is Christians. This is the church. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stomped what was left with its, feast, with its feet. Fourth beast, we already talked about, it's a Roman kingdom. Picking up Daniel 7, 20 and 22, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, this seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and the judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And a time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Little horn, my interpretation, and uh, interpretation of a lot of, of other people, is the Church of Rome. And uh, I'll put that right there. It's a religious kingdom with a religious war with the saints of Christ's kingdom. The war will last until Judgment Day. A lot of these things are symbolic. It's hard to 100% nail down. This is, this is my interpretation and how, how I look at it. Verse 23, as he said, For the fourth beast there shall be fourth, a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. He shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall rise. And another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. Shall put down three kings. In verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And shall think to change times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time and times, time and a half. He talks about this, this war against the saints of the Most High. It changes the times. It changes the law. This war includes... Changes in baptism. This war includes changes in the Lord's Supper. When you look at it with the, uh, the Roman Church, um, they, the Catholic Church, they've changed those things. Those things which are very, very defined, they've changed those. The word was kept out of the hands of common people for centuries. It's um, another thing. Alliances were made with earthly kingdoms. These are some things we see with the Catholic Church. I hesitate on speaking about some of that kind of thing because people are people. But this is the, the background, the horn that speaks so loudly. 
has put a lot of this stuff in there and it infiltrates the world. Sometimes we don't see what the Bible says because somebody else has spoken very loudly. So uh, if you've got questions, talk to me. We'll talk it through. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Um, he sees the kingdom of Most High. He sees that everlasting kingdom, and not only did he keep in his heart, he recorded it. And that's, you know, it's inspired by God. It's here for us to look at. 2,700 years later, is that about right? Or Daniel earlier than that? Not really, 25, 27, somewhere there. Mm -hmm. Anyways, a lot of time ago. How about that? A long time ago, it's still here, and we're still talking about it. So he recorded it, and it's here for us to learn by. I want to conclude with Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. I talked about the wars that we have with authorities, the wars that are really a spiritual war. And this is the, this is the hope that we have. Uh, we're part of a, an everlasting kingdom. We're part of an eternal kingdom. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. What do we do in a world that's at war? We put on the armor of God. That's what we do until the end of time, until judgment day. There's nothing else we have to face. So next week, Chuck's going to pick up Daniel 8, right? I didn't know if you'd be here or not. So, you'll be here. Chuck's going to pick up with Daniel 8 next week. If you've lost those four kingdoms and the fifth kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, guess what? You'll hear it again, just in a different format. You'll only hear two next week. Really? Just uh, Rome? No, Alexander. Actually, you hear Alexander. You said Greek and Medo-Persian are the yeah. two you'll hear about. Yeah, because there's a battle between the goat and the ram. So, that is what we will hear about next week. So, thank you for joining us, and uh, 